Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday we began looking at an article in the August 2015 Ensign Magazine, an article titled, We Believe in Being Humble. It's found on page 10. In fact, the entire article is found on page 10. And we've been going through this article paragraph by paragraph. And so today we want to look at paragraph 2. It says, most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness, taught President Ezra Taft Benson. All of these are elements of the sin, but the heart or core is missing. He said, the central feature of pride is enmity, hatred, or hostility, enmity toward God, and enmity toward our fellow men. Now, I wonder if a lot of Mormons understand it that way. If you were to look at some of the email that we receive from Latter-day Saints that are not too happy with what we do, they tend to show a lot of enmity or dare I say, hatred towards us, but they certainly don't show any love for us. So if that's going to be an element of pride, do you think most of the Mormons who really loathe who we are and what we do look at that as being the sin of pride, or would they look at that as being more a behavior based in a loyalty to the Mormon system? If they're really telling themselves that their dislike for us is based in a loyalty to the church, and if we're going to use this definition that Ezra Taft Benson has given us here in this article, then wouldn't they have deluded themselves in thinking that instead of being loyal to the system, they were really being disloyal to God? Would they know that? So if they were to die with that misconception of their behavior... And again, I'm using it in the example of how their feelings are towards us. Would they die having broken their covenants? Because on yesterday's show, we read the first paragraph where it says, When we become members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we covenant to always remember him. Take his name upon us and keep his commandments. And the next sentence is a gem. Any sin prevents us from keeping this covenant. Well, if you don't keep your covenant you don't get celestial exaltation, according to Mormonism. So here it would be, in this case, a Mormon thinking he's being loyal to the church, but really he's guilty of the sin of pride, but he doesn't recognize it that way. Is he still guilty of the sin of pride? I would say yes. Mm -hmm. So therefore he has violated his covenant. Now think about all the other areas, and I'm not just picking on Mormons, I would say myself included. There's probably a lot of areas where I'm self-deluded and I don't recognize my shortcomings and how I get away from the holiness of God. And this is why I think this whole concept of Mormonism is very dangerous when it comes to how is that sin taken care of when it comes to the atonement. Okay, now let's look at the next paragraph there, beginning with hostility. Hostility toward God is in the spirit of my will and not thine be done. The proud cannot accept the authority of God giving direction to their lives. The proud wish God would agree with them. They aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's. 
Now here again, I think there can be a self-delusion going on. And let me explain what I mean by that. The proud cannot accept the authority of God giving directions to their lives. On face value, I don't have a problem with that statement. Where I would start to have a problem is, is in how do I understand what is really the authority of God? There I find a problem with a lot of Latter-day Saints because what they think is really stemming from the authority of God, I would say, is not really coming from God at all, but rather has its genesis either in the teachings of Joseph Smith, who I feel in many cases violates and, and contradicts what God has actually decreed, or the teaching of some other leader of the Mormon church. Now, when it says the proud wish God would agree with them, they aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's. How many times have Christians told the story of how they were trying to show a Latter-day Saint something from God's word that certainly conflicted with what they said they believed as a Latter-day Saint. And the Latter-day Saint says, I don't care what you say. I believe this, and no matter what you tell me, it won't change my mind. And this mindset has been ingrained since the very beginning, from primary on, that the leaders can be trusted, that they're the ones who can show you. The standard works as defined, as interpreted by the leadership, the manuals, the uh, teachings in seminary and institute going out on a mission. It's all based around this authoritative structure of what they call the restored church. So when it says that these people aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's, that, in my opinion, would include every single Latter-day Saint who would much rather take what a Latter-day leader in their church has said over what the Bible clearly says. I'll give you an example. You go through the Isaiah passages, Isaiah 43, 44, 45, 46. Clearly it says that there's only one God and I know no other. Mormons don't really believe that. They believe that their God is the offspring of another God, who's the offspring of another God, who's the offspring of another God going into eternity past. How many times have I had Latter-day Saints try to make every excuse as to why they could not believe those words for what they really say? It's because they would much rather believe what their church has told them rather than what God is decreeing in the Bible. And it all stems from a scripture, the Bible, that they don't believe is tr correctly uh, translated, they call it. Article 8 is what they'll refer to, but that's not a good excuse. And they can point to the Joseph Smith translation for the Isaiah passages you're talking about. That doesn't help them either. It certainly doesn't help the Latter-day Saint, you're right. Because if you look at the Isaiah passages in the Joseph Smith translation, they read virtually the same as the King James. So there's really no excuse on the part of the Latter-day Saint to accept what Joseph Smith said later on when even the Joseph Smith translation reads the same way as our Bibles read today. Now you might say, well, why do they? It's because Smith didn't believe a lot of the things that Mormons believe today. At the time, he was putting together the Joseph Smith translation, which we know was between 1830 and 1833. And here we go. Again, it's all based on presuppositions. You're going to interpret the passage based on what you have been told and taught. And if it disagrees with that presupposition, then what are you going to reject? You're going to reject the Bible. So how is this disingenuous when it says that uh, your opinions are supposed to agree with God's? Well, if the church has deemed that a teaching is true, nothing the Bible says is going to be able to change the faithful's mind.
In the next uh, paragraph, it says, Enmity toward our fellow men is manifested in many ways. Fault-finding, gossiping, backbiting, murmuring, living beyond our means, envying, coveting, withholding gratitude and praise that might lift another, and being unforgiving and jealous. Pride hinders our progress, hurts our relationships, and limits the service we give. President Benson suggested this solution. The antidote for pride is humility. Meekness, submissiveness, it is the broken heart and contrite spirit, end quote. He taught that, quote, humility responds to God's will, to the fear of his judgments, and to the needs of those around us. Let us choose to be humble. Okay, now I'm not going to argue with that. Let us choose to be humble. But when he says the antidote for pride is humility, I think that quote is kind of refuted in the first portion of the quote by Benson, where he says, all of these are elements of the sin, a product of the sin. Right. The antidote for pride is really not humility. That's the element. The solution is Jesus. The solution for pride is having a correct understanding of who Jesus is and a total surrender to what Jesus did. That is really the antidote for pride. Because if you say that there's something that you must do or something that you must add to what Jesus did in order to secure something from God, you're starting down that road of pride. Yeah, and that's a good point. And the idea that who can really have true meekness or submissiveness or true humility? This is one of those items that a Latter-day Saint, if he's going to put on a to-do list, He's still not going to be able to do it all. Now, on the next page, it has various examples of how you can show humility. Let's talk about those five examples. It says the following illustration shows ways we can choose to be humble. And that's the end of the article. On the right side, on page 11, they have five characterizations of different scenes. And so the first scene is two men talking and one's counseling the other. And it says receiving counsel and correction. The second is a woman brushing an older woman's hair, and it says giving selfless service. The third is a woman who is kneeling down in prayer, and it says praying with real intent. The fourth, two missionaries, two male missionaries at a front door, and it says serving a mission is how you can show humility. And finally, the fifth is a person who is doing genealogical work on the computer, and it says doing family history work and attending the temple more frequently. Now here's the problem that I have with these five illustrations. Just because somebody receives counsel and correction from someone else doesn't necessarily mean that the person who receives the counsel and correction is receiving it in a a humble manner. You can still receive it and be angry about Mm -hmm. it. How many times when our kids were smaller, when you'd say, tell your brother or sister, tell them you're sorry. Yeah, a forced confession. (laughs) Really? They'll say it, but do they really mean it in their heart? Probably not. So merely receiving counsel and correction, again, if it was more of an act of humility, it would be something that's a part of the heart. The heart has to be changed. So I think that that doesn't really paint the proper picture. Well, and then the woman who's brushing another person's hair, I mean, maybe doing it out of a good heart, but maybe I'm forced to do this, I've got to do this, or maybe... Look at all the brownie points in heaven I'm getting for this. I wonder if somebody's watching me do this for this nice lady. I'm brushing this nice lady's hair. How many are seeing me do that? But even praying with real intent. I mean, that also could be a show for all we know. I mean, real intent for what? Real intent to show people that I I like to pray? Is that what you're trying to accomplish there? 
and the next one, serving a mission. What are the reasons for people serving missions? I've heard of some missionaries going out because they know when they come back, they'll have the opportunity to get a wife. There will be ladies who will be lined up at the door for them. Let's be serious that a lot of fanfare is put upon the young man or woman who is going out on a mission. If nothing else, it's their 15 minutes of fame. And their heart, again, is not right in the purpose of doing that mission. And how many times have we asked young people, well, why did you go on a mission? They'll say, what? It was my duty. It wasn't really something that was out of the heart, although I'm sure probably when they went on their mission and got to meet people from another culture, another area of the country, I'm not doubting that many of them probably fell in love with those people and, and enjoyed the culture and learned a lot. But many times the primary motive for the young people going on the mission is because it's a duty. This is what the church tells them to do. Now, what we're going to do tomorrow is we're going to look at the fifth drawing that is found on page 11, and that has to do with doing family history work and attending the temple more frequently. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. How would you like to have Mormonism Research Ministry address your church on the subject of Mormonism? MRM's Bill McKeever and Derek Johnson have spoken at many Christian churches all over the country. You see, they can tailor their presentation to meet your church's needs. Anything from a one-day basic introduction to a weekend symposium. You'll find these PowerPoint presentations clear, articulate, and presented in a Christ-honoring fashion. So let your pastor know today that you'd like to have MRM speak at your church. Write us at contact at mrm.org.